This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to the MC Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. In this episode, we'll be asking the age-old question, what is the Age of Ultron? Avengers, Age of Ultron. And as always, this is not a spoiler-free zone, so Genesis. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thanks, Jen. Alright, so, wait. How is this an age-old question? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. What is the Age of Ultron? A mess. It's a good mess, but it's a mess. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to try to blaze through this because I know that you have got just a few new characters to introduce us to. Only a couple. It's fine. No big deal. Less than the last episode, but more than two. (laughs) Yeah. And meatier characters. They they are very, very full. But we will leave that to later. So, what happens in the opening moments? So, we get this great fight scene in the snowy kind of countryside of Eastern Europe, Europe Sokovia. It's a fictional country. Um, the Avengers, we see Tony, Thor, Bruce, Steve, Nat... And, uh, and Clint, they're raiding a Hydra facility. There's this awesome, you know, team pan across that we get. We haven't had one since, you know, that camera pan around from the first Avengers film. So good to see mm-hmm. the whole team together. Um, while they're trying to take out the Hydra forces in the forest, we get our first real glimpse at the twins. Mm-hmm. We get our first look at the Maximoffs. So, you know, uh, Wanda has the, I forget what they call it, but the magic, basically, the manipulation. And Pietro's fast. Very fast. I love how later when when Hill is describing them and she rattles off the powers, she's rattling them off to Cap and he just looks at her like, can you, can you dumb that down, please? And it's, he runs really fast and she's weird. And (laughs) yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, she definitely uh, fast-tracked it. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a code green, hulks out, smashing dudes. Clint's pulling off some impressive archery shots. Natasha's hanging in there with her widow bites. And Cap is, yet again, destroying motorcycles. (laughs) I saw that, and I was like, uh, (laughs) she's gonna add that to the count. (laughs) What are we at? Four? Five? Uh... Four. It's one per movie so far. <laughs> His poor motorcycles can't get a break. Can one of them please make it from start to finish in one movie, please? <laughs> it ain't happening. Yep. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> if it's in the movie, it's in there to be destroyed. Uh, Tony goes to fly into the castle and bounces 
very hard off of a force field of some sort, and shouts an expletive, to which Cap replies, language, becoming a very iconic meme for the year. And still is, at least in my household. <laughs> we get through our fight and, you know, start, they're there to pick up the, the Loki scepter, which had disappeared during the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they've tracked it to this place, which Stark immediately goes and picks up. But along the way... Yeah, along the way, he stumbles into this creepy secret room where they have most of one of the Leviathans from the Avengers. And then Wanda gets her sticky little fingers on the situation and casts a spell on Tony. And he starts seeing his worst fears coming to life. Tony sees in all of his friends dead and it's his fault and that's his biggest fear is failure that results in the loss of the people that he loves you know for an emotionally unattached billionaire playboy philanthropist you know his greatest fear is losing the people that he loves yeah well i'm sure it's got plenty to do with his daddy issues and being a feeling like he's been abandoned by people who are supposed to love him and now also it's his responsibility as iron man to protect he is the man in armor. He's the Shining Knight. So when he sees the worst fear of failure to protect, yeah, he couple that with his PTSD, and we're going to create a small problem. Which, when Tony Stark creates a small problem, that is a very large problem. Yeah, he has good intentions for most of the things he does, but very poor execution, which we're going to see... Very shortly, they apprehend Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, Gesundheit. <laughs> yeah, the Marvel loves their long-winded evil villain names. You know, he's taken into custody and they, you know, re they regain the scepter. And they bring it back to their compound. Which was one of the largest, like, sets, like, practical sets built was the Avengers penthouse set because that, that was all mostly practical not shot in a uh, green uh, green screen area so that was really cool but yeah after they you know they get the scepter and they begin to study it and tony and bruce discover what looks like brainwaves like thought forming within the signal of the scepter and tony kind of Mentions to Bruce, hey, this might be the thing that we need to finish creating Ultron, which is a world protection program that Tony has devised to put a suit of armor around the world. Yeah. Good intentions, poor execution. <laughs> yeah. They ask Jarvis to continue running simulations on the signal to try to unlock the um, perfection of AI. And they proceed to have a party. They're drinking and telling stories. They are dogging Rhodey for not having better superhero stories to tell. I mean, to the average person, he's got great superhero stories. <laughs> I do love how they are able to pull in so many of the others for this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing them. Yeah, it really felt like a bigger universe, finally. Like, that was one of the great draws, I think, of Age of Ultron is that you continued from all the other plot lines that had been going on. You kind of pulled them together 
for this one moment. And so that felt that felt really interconnected and like a good foundation. We'll talk about more of that later. But while the Avengers party, someone's getting murdered. Yeah, one of the simulations finally is greenlighted. It's successful. And Ultron becomes self-aware. He's in the dark. He's speaking. Jarvis tries to calm him down and get him to, you know, perform a system shutdown and just, you know, relax, take it easy. Ultron doesn't like that very much and immediately starts lashing out. And our buddy Jarvis isn't doing too well. Oh, poor Jarvis. Poor Jarvis. I love how it took Ultron less than a minute to, from from birth to to fi- figuring out everything he needed to about humanity to be like, okay, yep, these cockroaches need to go. Genocide. <laughs> like, as a millennial, I feel like, I feel like I really resonate with that sometimes. Oh no, humanity just needs to go. That's it. Burn it all down, salt the earth, we'll try again later. <laughs> Hard reset, all systems. Ultron decides that humanity is the problem, and that's why the earth isn't safe. So he kills Jarvis and promptly takes over one of the damaged Iron Legion robots that Tony had devised to help with emergency situations around the world. And while all this is happening, they've been drinking. Our man, Stan, has uh, partaken of the Asgardian liquor and not done too well. Excelsior. This was a much bigger cameo for him than had been, I'd say, up until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because he's in, like, two shots. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they catch him drinking. They let him drink and then they drag him out. They are going round Robin trying to lift Thor's hammer. Tony tries it with his Iron Man glove and then tries lifting it with Rhodey. They fail. Uh, Clint fails. And Bruce pretends to Hulk out. Yeah. I don't know if that party joke was going to go over very well. No. Um, Nat does not need that question answered. And when Cap steps up, we get a little squeak and a wiggle wiggle. Yep. Later revealed that he could have lifted it the whole time. But... That's a story for another time. While they're, you know, having fun and saying that they're not worthy, Ultron kind of hobbles in, dripping oil, looking very creepy, making a bunch of Pinocchio references. That would be pretty creepy, regardless of who did it, but definitely a shambling robot that definitely shouldn't be walking and talking like it is. Definitely sets all the Avengers on edge. And then... No, it's time for a fight, because we need to have a fight anyway. Yeah, so Ultron has hijacked the Iron Legion, and the Avengers immediately leap into action, trying to take out all of the robots. Cap has his shield, and he is defying the laws of physics. We've established that that thing does not obey the laws of physics. Though I would say in this one, it did better than usual like when he sticks it through something it tends to kind of just go through rather than 
constantly bounce. Mm -hmm. They implemented the magnetic shield in this one, too. Um, They kind of show the electricity crackling to visualize that magnetism. So there is a reason that that thing has recall now. (laughs) Or at least a more accurate reason to be, like, being sent back. Exactly. It's definitely more plausible. Yeah. And I will admit, I did love the team-up moves he kind of came up with, like, with Thor. Like... Yes, that that shield and hammer combo is A1. I loved how they, like, figured out that you could direct, like, he... They did that one against the tank, and it wasn't just this big radial. It was a big line that went through that tank. I, I should say this now. I actually do enjoy Age of Ultron. I do, too. One of my favorites, actually, simply because of everything that's being set up in this. Normally, I don't like setup movies, but this doesn't. This isn't a setup movie. This is a culmination of things coming together to finally start really telling the story. This is not just exposition. We are in rising action, uh, not just the part of here of the movie, but throughout the throughout the narrative of Phase One or Two here. But anyway. I believe Ultron escapes, right? Yes, Ultron escapes with the scepter. Which is bad. Very bad. (laughs) And while he, you know, while the other Iron Legion members are fighting the Avengers, causing the distraction, yeah, our guy Ultron makes makes his great escape. Um, The Avengers end up, you know, they're defeated, they need to come together, but they know that they are no longer safe. They, uh, Ultron's in the web, he's everywhere, he's, he has all the information on them, he knows literally everything there is to know about the Avengers, including where they might go. They're doing the research to figure out kind of what he would be, what would Ultron's next step be, and they kind of figure out there's going to be a, he needs vibranium to, to do better with his body, right? Yeah. Because they figure out he's taken over Strucker's old base. When they try to go get Strucker, they figure out he's been killed. They also kind of figure out Ultron's teamed up with Maximovs. So, Tony here, he's got an old connection in Ulysses' claw. And, you know, because that's how maybe some of the darker sides of Stark Industries attain some of its stuff, right? That's what he does. Yeah, he, he kind of says, oh yeah, there's conventions for this kind of stuff. And I'm like... Illegal arms deals? Tony, what are you doing? Uh, well, he grew a conscience afterward, right? Yeah, what's done is done, but they, yeah, they are gonna go see Claw. Yeah, they're gonna go talk to Claw, but Ultron's beating them to the punch. Yeah, he shows up, and, well, he sends the Maximoff twins in first, and we get this great... Very classic Andy Circus performance. That man does unhinged madman like none other. Yeah, yeah, he does. He was great casting for, for this claw. Yes. And, you know, he's saying, are you going to show me a cuttlefish? Uh, yeah, and she's, you know, threatening him to, you know, hypnotize him. And uh, he says, you know, I want to talk to the man in charge. And then Ultron appears and says, there is no man in charge. Just me. And he's gotten an upgrade. Just a, you know, a minor, minor upgrade. <laughs> Built himself a, um, how should I put it? Decidedly more buff, larger robot body. And, you know, that kind of looks like James Spader in the face. 
Really? I wouldn't I wouldn't have seen it, in all honesty. Uh I believe Spader probably had to have been on set because that thing does move like him. Like Spader has a specific kind of I'm not gonna say tell, but he he has a very specific movement about himself. And I would say he like either they copied Ultron very well or he was on set doing the motion capture. He for was. It. He did mocap and okay. he um so since Ultron's a lot taller than he is they had like this ridiculous hat with a stick and then ultron's head <laughs> at the level where his head would be to give them sightline to give the other actors sightline but i'm just i am imagining it and they did definitely capture all of his little idiosyncrasies very well and translate it to ultron yeah i, I think that was it was a very humanizing thing a, a cold hearted robot wouldn't do that right it would it would move robotically, and he has a very organic and free flowing movement that Ultron necessarily didn't necessarily need, but definitely set it set it apart from other robots by adding that little touch. So speaking of big buff robots, I believe this leads up to one of the best culminations of Avengers fighting themselves of all time, right? Yes. So while they are, you know, while they are fighting through trying to, you know, get to Claw, uh, Wanda starts doing some little magic tricks on the Avengers to really freak them out. Bruce is back at the Quinjet wondering if he should, you know, if he needs to have a code green. But Wanda gets a hold of him first and he goes rampaging through a city. Yeah, and not just any city, like an actual well-populated city. I believe it's Johannesburg, right? Yes. In South Africa. So, you know, a big, crowded city that's pretty much the worst place to have a rampaging Hulk. Yes. So, Tony deploys Veronica. I love the Hulkbuster armor, especially this version, but man... The fact that Tony, he came up with something to at least try to hold its own against the Hulk. And it might have done a little bit better if the Hulk wasn't completely out of his mind at the time. Like, if he had just been normal Hulk, not like, I'm hallucinating. Yeah, but no, this this one goes decisively against the Avengers. Like, even though a Hulk is brought down, the amount of collateral damage is tremendous and the pr fallout is even worse mm -hmm. yeah uh there is worldwide uh, disapproval of this situation and the avengers are all very noticeably shaken by what they've seen Clint managed to avoid getting hypnotized because he's like, mm, no, I've had someone in my head before, not going to happen again. And he stuck an electric arrow right to Wanda's forehead. Clint's got some of the best lines in this movie, hands down. The yes. best one-liners go to Clint. This movie gave our boy Clint the quippy one-liners he deserved because I find Clint in the comics hilarious. In, especially in the newer line. He's fantastic. Uh, anyway, tangents aside, you know, they all saw some horrible stuff. Thor saw the end of Asgard, and Cap 
saw the life that he missed out on having with the love of his life, Natasha went back to the Red Room and remembered all of her trauma from there. And of course, you know, Banner went on his rampage through the city as the Hulk. He literally actually committed the act that he is most afraid of. Um, So he's got to live with that now. But speaking of Barton, we finally also get some like character growth and backstory because now that the Avengers are kind of on the outs with the public, there's nowhere else they can go except to the farmhouse. And it ends up being Barton's little like getaway from everything. And it's where his family is, which is just crazy in its own right. Yeah, they kind of um, shoehorned that one in there. There was never, never any uh, inclination or inklings that he had a family like that. And I know that, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I asked Fury to keep it off the books and, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm like, okay, but like those kids are like running around with your whole DNA and your like last name and you have a wife who probably like gave birth in a hospital like and you're an avenger dude like someone at that hospital saw your face and knows right uh yeah some some of it made sense some of it didn't that's what happens when you take something that is definitely not based on any comic book origin and shoehorn it in Mm -hmm. like i get it there's this need for the avengers to kind of go underground and re- you know recuperate you need some place for them to go narratively to also tie that into one of the team members backstories and origin because they're that's what they're exploring through all of these characters right we get to explore a little bit of the black widow's origin we get to explore more of steve's regret we got to explore tony's PTSD and fears like we're, we're getting more nuance on each of these characters so this is how they decided to do that with Barton since we're not going to hit him with the fear effect we gotta do it some other way thus a family out of the farmhouse yeah so they bunk up at the farmhouse with Clint and his family and Clint's wife has to tell him that Natasha and Bruce are together Oh, man. Right. Uh, So that. I love how just... I can't tell if Barton is acting like he had no idea or if he genuinely had no idea. I'm inclined to believe that he genuinely had no idea. Because he was like, Banner and Nat? No. that That's not the reaction of a man that knows that his literal best friend, because his children call Natasha auntie. Um... That is not that is not the response of a man that is well aware of his best friend's relationship status. Well, and to and in Barton's defense, that relationship pretty much blindsided everyone. Yeah, you know, here I was at the end of Captain America the Winter Soldier, thinking that we were gonna get the Cap Widow pairing that we deserved after all of the actual chemistry on screen. Between Cap and Widow. But no, she's gonna go for Bruce. Okay. So, for for me, I, when I, when I was first seeing it, I was like, okay, that's something new. It's never been done before, at least to my knowledge. Don't, you're welcome to at me the what if that 
you know, this relationship could have been based on that I'm not aware of. But for all my experience, I have not seen that particular couple. Bruce Banner has his love interests. He's got Betty Ross. He's got Janala. He's got the Queen of Sakaar. You know, he's got all those characters while Natasha's in the world of the assassins with Daredevil, Hawkeye, um, somebody else. And I'm blanking on it right now, Uh, but it doesn't really matter. She had a comic book relationship with the Winter Soldier and she's had uh, she's had a comic book relationship with Captain America, too. Yes, this is also true. Um, And has that's also been explored in other media. Mm hmm. Yeah, I remember, what was it, Next Avengers? It was a, uh-huh. a cartoon movie um, revolving around the children of the Avengers. So we get Thor's daughter, Captain America, and Black Widow's son, um, and a couple of others. And, right. um, yeah, I I genuinely love that pairing, and I, I wish that they had explored that instead of doing this weird Nat Banner thing. I felt like the chemistry was very forced and it was just kind of like an uncomfortable relationship. I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't a fan of it. And then after that, they kind of pretend like it doesn't, like it didn't happen. It's, it's weird. They walked that one back. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you know, they say, hey, <laughs> like, oof, was it that bad of a breakup? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll find out here. And to bring us back, like. Yeah, Ultron takes that vibranium that he got from Claw. He uh, also took a hand <laughs> from Claw as well. Just chopped him off at the wrist. Actually, I think it was a little higher, but... Yeah, he loves him, left him a little stumpy. He takes the vibranium to Helen Cho, who we had seen earlier using her cradle to heal Hawkeye's wound, his gunshot wound. He gives her the vibranium and says, I want you to build me a whole body. And she's like, this cradle's meant to reproduce tissue, not a whole body. And Ultron's like, no, you can do it. And then gives her a a little bit of Loki scepter inspiration. (laughs) She ends up actually beginning to more or less 3D print a body out of vibranium for Ultron. Um, That's bad news bears. Yeah, that's bad news bears, Uh, because this is basically the perfect android body. It's more powerful, it's more dynamic, it has more capabilities than the, let's face it, clunky, giant muscle robot bodies that Ultron has taken. Because he's had like, he's gonna have like four bodies (laughs) at this point. Um, But he... You know, he takes the the stone out of the scepter and, you know, places it in the head of his new android body while it's starting to form. And while Ultron is uploading himself into the body, Wanda reads his mind. And she doesn't like what she sees. And I don't think I would either. No. No, that would be... A total genocide of the human race, which would be not exactly the best for the Maximoffs. Like, it's unclear whether or not Ultron would have protected the Maximoffs because they are human. Or uh, because they are his teammates. But she definitely sees that he wants to wipe out humanity. And while she wants revenge on Stark, that doesn't include random families. That's exactly 
why they are against Stark, because he wipes out families, or at least his company did. So they immediately uh, distance themselves, literally, from him. Yeah, Pietro picks up his sister, and uh, they gone. The Avengers catch wind of Ultron's plan to print a new body, so they head off to Seoul. And they get into this very interesting highway fight. There's the scene when the robots pick up the semi-truck and then they quick zoom in on it. That makes me die laughing every time I see it. Why? Just because of how it's framed. I don't know why it sets me off. But they kind of pan over to this flying back end of a semi and then they zoom in on it real quick, like to make it intense while the, you know, the fight music plays. Captain America emulates Captain Falcon during his fight scene. He literally taunts just like Captain Falcon and says, come on. Uh, And Widow uh, has some awesome bike stunts. Fun fact, um, Scarlett Joe was pregnant during the filming of this. She had a very good stunt double for her motorcycle scenes. Uh, she had a great stunt double for, like, all of this. Like, any full-body shot, or I'm not going to say any, because I could be wrong, but a good majority of any full-body shot she was in was not her. That was her stunt double, and then they CGI'd the face onto it. Same tech that they used for Skinny Steve. Right, and I'd say if you didn't know that, you wouldn't have been able to tell. I think some of it had to do with how they framed her hair around her face. It shadows would help hide the, I'm not going to say the line, but just where the CGI ends and a real person's body begins, right? So, and a lot of the time her hair is down well past her ears and it creates a shadow there around the neck and at the jawline, which really helps solidify that out. I know in a behind the scenes that I saw once... Uh, Scarlett Johansson was saying that she and her stunt doubles and body doubles would sometimes, this was specifically with Chris Evans because they are actually like really good friends in real life. And she would play a game with her stunt doubles and body doubles where they would go talk to Chris and try to see how long they could convince him that they were Scarlett. (laughs) And... (laughs) Evidently, the record's like five minutes. I mean, I would like to know the context in which that was going on. Because, you know, if you're a distracted person, uh, this it's, a, it's called like something blindness. And if you're not really paying attention, it could be a minute before your brain picks up that who you thought you were talking to has either changed or isn't who you're supposed to be talking to. So I would like to know the context of that five minute span. Because, I mean, if he's like doing something right and he was engaged with another conversation while body double scarlet joe comes up like yeah it might be a minute before he's like oh oh you're not who i thought you you were but yeah um so the avengers end up uh recovering the synthetic body of ultron's creation as well as the stone and helen cho Um, they bring all of that back to their compound and Thor goes off with Eric Selvig and skinny dips in some very cold looking water (laughs) to have visions, uh, to determine, you know, what he should do moving forward. 
and he envisions a set of eyes opening and lightning all around. So he makes up his mind, goes back to the compound, finds all of the Avengers fighting amongst themselves. Meanwhile, surprise, surprise, Tony's trying to undo his bad. (laughs) By keeping another secret. (laughs) So... As Banner was saying, it's deja vu. You you want to fix a mistake of creating a megalomaniacal AI that wants to wipe us all out by, oh, uploading your old AI butler into this new Android body, and hopefully that will fix your problem and not tell anyone. What is wrong with you? What is like? What is clinically wrong with you? He does not learn from his mistakes. No, he just tries that slightly different path. And I mean, luckily it kind of worked out for him, because I guess the justification is that Jarvis was an inherently good AI, because while he was disseminated, there was a part of his root programming that literally went after nuclear codes to keep changing them so Ultron couldn't get to them. And he was still fast enough to beat Ultron, even though he was disseminated. This is true. Also, um, having the god of thunder on your side at the end of the argument also helps. Because <laughs> Cap's like, in. unplug it, unplug it, and Thor's like, that ain't gonna work, because I'm bringing the lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I-, I love the reaction. Thor said, well, Tony is right. And Bruce says, oh, it's that kind of a day. <laughs> Like, like earlier, Thor was ready to tear Tony apart. Like, not even tear him a new one, a part for creating Ultron. And now here we are. Tony's done the exact same thing, and Thor is saying he's right. Okay, this is how you go mad. I get it now. Yes, so they awaken the Vision, who pops out of his canister, nude as a <laughs> newborn baby. Well, I mean, it's not like they programmed it with clothes. It, that's kind of how you don't build a body, right? Um, I like how they just very tactfully put the, like, seam of the window. <laughs> uh, yes, it, that was uh, that was totally uh, coincidental. Mm-hmm. Totally. Definitely. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, he you know, looks at Thor and sees that he's got a cape, so he makes himself a cute little cape. And, and he, he gives himself <laughs> pants because he realizes that not having on clothing makes everyone uncomfortable. I mean, yes. Vision manages to earn their loyalty how? Because the team still is pretty fractured on what to do with the Vision. Even if it does sound like Jarvis. You remember earlier in the movie when they were all trying to lift the hammer? Um, yeah, yeah. Vision just kind of casually picks it up and hands it to Thor. That'll do it. And and they're just like, well, okay then. (laughs) And then we get kind of our big gear up and roll out scenes with the Avengers heading towards our big final battle. Uh, Quicksilver. Hmm. Pietro puts on some very tight spandex and new running shoes and then throws his sister a leather jacket because they gotta they gotta look cool man they gotta look cool 
they gotta look like members of the team and not uh, a couple of Eastern European orphans. You know, they get they get geared up and and ready to go out to the battle, and they have to go back to Sokovia because. Yeah, our guy Ultron in an even bigger new robot body. Because <laughs> bigger is always better, apparently. Yeah, um, sitting on more or less a throne in a, in a church with his doomsday gravity device front and center is going to lift up a gigantic chunk of the city of Sokovia, get it up to a certain altitude, and then drop it back down to Earth like a meteor to in effect, wipe out the entire human race and just about all organic life so that when the dust settles, all that will be left is metal. The Avengers aren't going to let that happen. Clint brought, like, 13 arrows to this fight, and he's going to use them. (laughs) He gives a pep talk to Wanda, who's a little bit freaked out, because this is her first big battle with, you know swarms of killer robots flying around and just her just her home city flying off the ground about to fall back to earth like a meteor and kill everyone well also i you know she's got those telepathic abilities and it's unclear as to how much control she would have and you know she would probably be picking up on all the citizens who are a part of the floating chunk of sokovia still on it she's probably picking up at least the surface level fear and anxiety and that's probably affecting her on top of her own like you've got a swarm of deadly robots coming at you i i think anyone would be freaked out it's also kind of a a fourth wall break for clint to be like yeah it's an insane situation i have a bow and arrow you've got magic powers we're gonna roll with it because that's what we're gonna do (laughs) yeah he's like you walk out that door you're an avenger and she gets her little moment where she steps out the door. She gets her slow-mo with the hair and the wind. And she's ripping apart Ultron bots. Meanwhile, you know, they are realizing what the plan is. So they're trying to counteract. Thor goes around with the lightning and Iron Man is pushing. Yeah, he's he's probing away at it, trying to figure out how the gravity engine works, how to turn it off, and then once you turn it off, how are you going to stop this giant piece of rock from, you know, destroying the Earth? Because, you know, you get it up high enough, it doesn't matter. It's going to be very bad. And he knows he's just one man in a ten suit of armor. He isn't slowing that down by just holding on to it. Not even Thor could do that. No. So they, you know, they end up getting a little bit of backup because the helicarrier, the old helicarrier, they had to dust this thing off and get it out of storage. This is the helicarrier from the Avengers, not one of the destroyed helicarriers from Winter Soldier. The OG with the turbines that they had to fix helicarrier. Uh, And they... They launch the boats and get as many of the civilians off of the floating chunk of Sokovia as they can. The Avengers are focusing on evacuation efforts and getting everyone out. And unfortunately, during one part of the evac... A small child had been left behind. Clint ran off to go get it. And Ultron had managed to pick up a a ship. And he's using, using the machine guns. He targets them. 
and you can see like the movie was doing a pretty good job of setting up the guy with the retirement plan to die right like that's the trope and so clint's going to go out and hail bullets he's expecting it he's going to do his best to use his body to protect the kid and woof he's moved out of the way and he didn't see that coming yeah i didn't see that coming either because they just introduced him and now quicksilver is dead mm-hmm. thanks for toasting more characters for no reason this one had reasons and you know once you look at it from a, a meta perspective in which marvel and fox at the time had a shared contract on quicksilver because fox was also utilizing quicksilver at the time in their new x-men line of movies um so it's unclear if the contract required the avengers to kill him off or if uh taylor johnson just wasn't particularly interested in continuing to play it because he's also up against his old co-star uh evan peters as quicksilver in the x-men franchise and my nitpick with this bit when they kill him off too is because of the evan peters quicksilver we get that time in a bottle sequence from uh which one was it uh days of future past where he's running around the kitchen moving the bullets (laughs) so that they don't die uh my question is why did he just run in front of the bullets and not do that i guess quicksilver in the mcu is not as fast i don't know i mean again it's he made a decision um because if he was fast why didn't he just keep moving why did he decide to utilize his momentum to push rather than grab and like jump or something like again i i'm fairly certain his death has to do more with a meta contractual obligations than it had anything to do with the actual narrative which unfortunately meant the narrative had to fit in the contractual obligation (laughs) they need backup from the hulk so natasha tricks banner kisses him and says you are amazing but i need the other guy and pushes him into a hole yeah and he jumps back up as the hulk and grabs her and then jumps down into the battle must have been terrifying yeah uh, they have their big battle sequence in that main church area where they're all you know, back-to-back fighting Ultron bots, and the city, you know, starts to fall, but Tony and Thor overload the machine that's, you know, causing the city to float after they've evacuated everyone, and when they reverse it, it evaporates all of the earth and, you know, city, basically, so that, you know, so that it doesn't crash to earth and cause... A global extinction. <laughs> I mean, there's still very large chunks of it, and that rains all over uh, a lake in Sokovia. And even with the Avengers' best, uh, you know, at their best, people still died, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see the backlash of all of this very soon. Right. In the, speaking of backlash and aftermath, so we've got the Hulk. He had saved the Widow from gunfire, and he ran off. And he's now departing in a Quinjet for places unknown, and it's got stealth systems engaged so no one can find it. Uh, Natasha, she tried to send him a video message to get him to give him a lullaby, basically. 
sun's getting real low, but he turns it off and flies off into the sunset to be seen at a later date. Right. A Ultron bot had managed to survive everything, and it gets hunted down by the Vision. And they have their last, like, father-son moment before Ultron tries to go out in a blaze of glory, and then one bright flash of light later, no more Ultron. You are ridiculously naive. Well, I was born yesterday. <laughs> I, oof, man, I did, I did like that. Uh, oh, man. Like, the gravitas of James Spader is amazing. He really embodied Ultron in a way that I just freaking love to watch. Mm-hmm. I, well, and to add to your point, I think that having someone with the acting chops of Paul Bettany to square off with him was the move. Um, because I don't think you could have pinned that on a less experienced actor and had them not crumble. Fair, yeah. The Avengers end up st- uh, establishing a new base and they show off, you know, all of the new members of the team. Um, you know, Tony ends up leaving and and Hawkeye retires. So Steve and and Natasha, which is another reason why I think they should have ended up as a couple instead of the weird Natasha Banner thing. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> they are left to prepare and train the new set, the new team of Avengers. So we've got the lineup of Rhodey, Vision, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, um, and Wanda. And we get probably the most infuriating three seconds in film. Avengers! Yeah. Yeah. Though I would say the other infuriating seconds of movie is the mid-credit, uh, you know, tag at the end where you got uh, Thanos picking up Gauntlet and saying, you know, if you want something done right, gotta go do it yourself, apparently. And because to me, you know, all that setup with Thanos, it felt like, oh, yeah, OK, now we're now we're moving into probably the guy who actually should have been the villain of the movie. So, yeah, one of my big sticking points on the Age of Ultron here is this movie, uh, like I said, it accumulated a lot of things. It brought stuff to the surface that we were finally like getting ready for and unfortunately none of those ideas go anywhere we don't have the next avengers with vision and sam and wanda and and the war machine we don't like that's not where this goes and that's such a infuriating problem because we get wrapped up in this need to go on to one of the worst comic book tie-ins of all time the civil war instead of building off of what the MCU was establishing. So, like, I love Age of Ultron because of where it could have gone. It has so much potential, and it kind of fizzles out there. And that's really frustrating. I feel that because, and we'll talk about it in depth when we get to talk about Civil War, but it, it, it so differed from the comic book events and to have what ends up happening in that film follow the events of Age of Ultron is just, it's, 
it doesn't feel like the logical progression and it was so far departed from the actual events of the comic book event that it was not even really recognizable except for the fact that our team leaders are the same for the conflict really that's the main the main similarity and there's not really a setup for this split really other than you know what ends up going down in civil war you know tony tony and steve leave on good terms and you know it looks like they're going to be training up the next team i don't really understand why they didn't go that route and they just said okay well i know we teased that these were going to be the next avengers but guess what we're going to split up the team now right yeah uh but yeah that's about that's uh kind of the end of of this movie and and now's a good chance to roll into our mid-break so that we can talk about everything that's not to do with the MCU. Alright, welcome to the mid-break, where we talk business, not comic book lore. First, we'd like to thank all of our patrons, especially Genesis, our tier 4 for this month. And if you want to join us, the link for our patreon will be in the episode description and if you subscribe to the tier four you can join us on our next patron chat which will be our next episode so you still got actually (laughs) at the airing of this episode you will have missed this one which is unfortunate because we'll be going into the holidays which we'll discuss at the end of the episode here so but you can join us for the one before christmas so there you go as always, you can leave us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you're on, uh, typically Apple or Spotify. And if you leave us a five-star review on Apple, you have the opportunity to write one out. And we will read it out here. And I believe we've got one, Shenko. Yes, we do. Uh, we have got a five-star review. Uh, a mountain of information. Five stars. All the information about the MCU that I didn't know I needed. I consider myself at least moderately aware of the Marvel movies slash TV shows and their lore, but I'm learning so much about the comic books and obscure things I didn't know. Thanks, Saikenshenko. From SheCup94 of the Dragon Age, Assassin's Creed lore casts, and Inheritance page by page. Thank you so much, SheCup. It means so much that you're enjoying the show, and thank you for the review. Indeed, thank you very much, Cheek Up. All right, um, and if you don't want to leave us a review, but you want to talk to us, you can always hit us up on the Robots Radio Discord, where we've got a channel. We've got our Twitter and our Gmail that you can send us, you know, talk to us through those things. And also, I believe we're on Instagram, right? Facebook and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram, right. And if you've been liking the Facebook page, thank you very much. We very much appreciate it. Uh, Reach out to either of us through that if you want. We both are also part of other shows. So, psych, where else can they listen to you? You can listen to me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift. It's a live play tabletop RPG set in the Mass Effect universe utilizing the Fate system, which is different than your standard d20s i play 
Citadel security agent Jack Parizo, a human on the Citadel solving crimes with my team. We have a great time recording our episodes. It's a fun time to, you know, act against my fellow gamers. Um, and I just finished putting together uh, next month's episode, so be on the lookout for that at the start of December, the first Friday of December. I'm looking forward to it. I've been enjoying listening to The Blue Shift. I I feel like you guys are having such a blast with it, and it definitely, like, it, it permeates into the experience as a listener, because I... I can just tell that you guys are so enjoying it and and getting into playing the characters. Oh yeah, we're having a great time. If you're not tired of hearing me, you can find me as the host of The Fight Space. I recently brought my buddy Nick on as co-host and we've been having a really great time recording episodes. It is a martial arts podcast that covers the culture and the history, as well as a little bit of the news happening in the fighting world and the fighting community. We recently talked about Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva, the fight that a whole lot of people were upset about. Uh, So yeah, if you're interested in martial arts or the fighting community, definitely check me out on The Fight Space. And I believe we have a sponsor? Yes, we do. This episode is once again brought to you by one of our amazing sponsors, Bearded Brown Coat. It is an awesome comic shop in my hometown of Ocala, Florida. They have two locations, one off of State Route 200 and one next to the Publix Plaza a little bit further south in Bellevue. They have everything you could possibly need for gaming, tabletop, video games, card games, comic books, literally anything you could possibly need. I have found first first appearance comic books, autographed books, custom covers. You can get dice for your tabletop campaigns, uh, guidebooks, all that jazz, as well as used, and some new video games. So if you're in the Central Florida area or you're looking for an awesome place to come visit, if you're willing to travel, it's definitely worth it. Check out Bearded Brown Coat. Indeed. And the link for their website will be also in the description. I think that's all I have for the mid-break stuff. Do you have anything else? No, that's it. So let's get this a cracking. Okay, so I have some very meaty characters for Age of Ultron here. And it's going to take me a minute to get through them all, but bear with me. It'll all be fun at the end. So first up is Ulysses Claw. That's spelled K-L-A-U-E, a.k.a. Claw, spelled K-L-A-W. Very, very 60s, which is when he was introduced. Uh, He was introduced as Ulysses Claw in Fantastic Four number 53 in August 1966, and as Claw the Villain in Fantastic Four number 56 in November 1966 by our guys Lee and Kirby. So, again, this is a time thing. He is the son of a Nazi war criminal, who I believe was a Colonel Claw, and he had been partners with Baron Strucker during World War II. 
talk about him in a minute. Ulysses, in the comics, is a physicist with a PhD in sonic application. His work required vibranium, which put him in direct conflict with Wakanda and the Black Panther. During his first foray out there getting it, he killed T'Chaka, which left T'Challa to take up the mantle of the Black Panther. So, literally, his story is an is the origin to another mainstream Marvel character. And he would later lose his right hand to T'Challa's Black Panther. After that, he built a device that's the prosthetic for his hand that he utilized to become a being of living sound, which I, I still don't really understand that one. But anyway. Comic book science! <laughs> Comic book science! gonna get that on a (laughs) t-shirt he has continued to be used in the comic books even though he's died several times apparently being made out of living sound basically makes him immortal go figure comic book science he is typically an enemy of the avengers the fantastic four and of course black panther i mean you kill my dad you're gonna be my number one hit list forever and since he's immortal that's true so he's definitely a little bit different in the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Like, talk about taking a character and just being like, you know, we're just going to take the name and like some of the stuff that happens to him and the rest of it we're just going to toss. I think it was the smart choice, to be fair. Yeah, th- that is true. Like, mad scientists aside, that trope has kind of met its end almost. Uh, or not met its end but it's overdone we didn't need another one exactly we've already got stark and banner basically birthing artificial intelligence and having it go mad so we're already kind of covered in that in that department but speaking of other mad scientists we've got baron wolfgang von strucker gesundheit Introduced in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number five in January 1964 by Lee and Kirby. He is one of the original Nazis and he worked closely with Hitler and the Red Skull, especially after the fall of the Reich and the rise of Hydra. In the comics, he became bonded to this thing called the Death Spore during his first death, which Fury used to kill him, theoretically. And that has allowed him to continue being a fascist thorn in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s side right up through our modern continuity. So, he didn't die. He bonded with it and became like this walking death thing for a while. And he still enjoys experimenting on basically whatever he can get his grubby little hands on. It's, yeah. He's our mad scientist trope taken to an extreme. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's a Nazi. Gotta love the Nazis. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure this isn't how Hitler expected his thousand-year Reich to continue, but man, the Nazis are going to be great villains for the next however long humanity makes art, I think. Forever. <laughs> With, hey, by the way, if you're a Nazi and you're listening to this, you're a bad guy. You need to go figure your stuff out. Yeah, definitely. I also really love his classic look in the comics. With the green and the Hydra logo and the and the cape. Yeah, they definitely toned that back for the movie. <laughs> They're like, here's just 
basic Nazi-esque villain uniform. And here's he has a monocle. Yeah. Uh, well, he's a baron. Of course he's got a monocle. That's true. <laughs> All right. Next up, as we move out of our villains into our gray area here, we have Pietro Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver. Introduced in the X-Men number four in March 1964 by Lee and Kirby. Go figure. <laughs> he was first a mutant terrorist that was on Magneto's team. But he, and this will kind of be like a plural he because it's him and Scarlet Witch. They leave Magneto's team to kind of clean up their act. And in doing so, uh, this is at the same time the Avengers are disbanding. And Cap is looking to refill the roster. So they petition to become Avengers. And they become part of Cap's Kooky Quartet, as we discussed in our Avengers episode. Now, Quicksilver and Wanda have had their origins retconned so many times, it's not even funny. First, they're the adopted children of the Maximoffs in Eastern Europe, and they develop their powers as teens, which automatically would have made them mutants. Then they are thought to be the biological children of Robert Frank, who is the wizard, that 1940s speedster hero from from that from the Golden Age, and Madeline Frank, who is Miss America, also from the 1940s Golden Age. Then they became the actual biological children of Magneto, and that persisted for many years. Then finally, I say finally being in quotations, currently, I guess, really is the better word. They are the biological children of a different set of Maximoffs that were experimented on by the High Evolutionary and then given to the Maximoffs that were basically their aunt and uncle. In doing that, this has changed their standing in the Marvel hierarchy as they are no longer mutants, but instead highly evolved human mutates, which... I haven't really gone into the difference on, but I had noted during uh, Cap Winter Soldier. In the comics, he is still very much alive and well. He has an ex-wife and a daughter uh, that is Crystal and Luna of the Inhumans. They're not on the best relationships in comics, but at least something that still like has breath in it, I guess. At least it's not incest. At least it's not incest. We're not discussing the rest of that book. He has been a villain, an anti-hero, and a proper villain uh, across many books and against teams he's helped found over the decades. And in all honesty, like as much as I enjoy Age of Ultron, he deserved better than what we got during the movie. And it's only because he dies in his introductory movie. And that's all we're going to get, at least for now until we discuss WandaVision. But hey, speaking of WandaVision... We've got Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, introduced in the same issue that her brother was introduced in by the same people at the same time. We're not going to hear her called the Scarlet Witch for like a couple of more years, though. This is true. That her moniker for the MCU doesn't kick in until the end of WandaVision. Wow. So yeah, for for most of MCU, you're going to just hear Wanda Maximoff. But for the comics, again, much of the same retcon history as her brother. She has abilities that affect probability or reshape reality, depending on your retcon up till then. And then we got Steve Englehart, 
the same Steve Englehart from our Guardians of the Galaxy episode that we discussed, he took her and had her expand her power set by actually learning proper magic from Agatha Harkness, who I'll discuss later. Then, then we get a guy who I honestly don't like in the Marvel Comics world. John Bryn did a lot of damage to Wanda in the comics that later became fuel for other decisions made in the comic books. I don't want to give away too much here, as we will discuss way much more of it during our WandaVision, but oh my god, this man took a hatchet to a lot of work done. And I can discuss some of it here with the Vision. Introduced in Avengers number 57, uh, which had a cover date of October 1968, by Roy Thomas, who we've discussed before, and John Buscema. Thomas had originally wanted to bring on the original Arcus, aka Vision, to the Avenger roster, but Lee decided against the idea. So Thomas's workaround was to create the Vision we know today, <laughs> which had the same color scheme and a similar set of powers. It's considering that Thomas's like other ideas inc- included ripping off Darkseid to create Thanos. I'm kind of starting to get the idea that Thomas isn't exactly the most original person on the planet. Yeah. The Vision, as in as in the movie, was built by Ultron. However, the comic book one was built out of the remains of insert Brian Ripcon here, a copy of the original Human Torch. The Human Torch from the 1940s was an android built by Phineas T. Horton, who could light himself on fire and fly. Which based, and that would be the same power set that our Fantastic Four Human Torch has, is, except not being an android. However, right before Ultron was to get the original Human Torch remains, they got copied by Immortus for quote-quote purposes and that would be the Brine Retcon. Sounds a little convoluted to me. Yes, yes, man. Uh, after that, Ultron's got this android body, but it's not exactly what he's looking for. So he starts adding a bunch of new tech that gives it the density manipulation and the solar radiation powers that we know for the vision. And then as a like a plus side to Ultron's inspiration for creating this little family, he used a copy of the brainwaves of Wonder Man as the baseline. The reason for that I will explain when I discuss Ultron in a minute. On his very first mission to go fight the Avengers after being created, Vision turns on his father and joins the Avengers. So that's at least true. And the rest is a very convoluted history, mainly due to John Brun's influence, which again we will discuss during WandaVision. I might have to make WandaVision a two-parter where we discuss WandaVision and then I go on a tirade. I'm down. Because holy God. Anyway, speaking <laughs> speaking of God, Ultron, introduced in the Avengers number 54, July 1968, in an unnamed cameo, and the Avengers number 55 in August 1968 as a first named appearance by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Notice the timeline. So we've got numbers 54 and 55. That's that's Ultron. Number 57 
is is the vision. So quickly we go big bad and new character to be added to the Avengers, which is also pretty well represented here in the movie, right? We have the creation of Ultron. We have the creation of the vision pretty much back to back. Boom. Thomas said the name was inspired by his love of the suffix Tron and the Ultroids, which I had discussed in our Avengers episode during one of the storylines. So, thus, Ultron. Again, not exactly the most original. Now, the big sticking point, like the massive wedge between MCU and 616. Ultron was made by Dr. Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, who had been running examinations on the android being Dragon Man. Pym wanted to be the first, like, in the world of artificial intelligence. And so after uploading a copy of his own brainwaves, created Ultron. And also within the same amount of time that it took MCU version to turn on humanity and his father figure, it was basically what 616 did. And he quickly turned on Pym, developed a maniacal hatred for humanity, However, he also developed some sort of like Oedipus-like deep interest in Janet Van Dyne, who is the Wasp and on-again, off-again wife of Pym. So yeah. Talk about daddy issues. Uh, yeah. Like, we're never going to cover this character until, I don't think ever, but Jocasta is an android built basically in the likeness and with the brainwaves of, I believe, Janet, who becomes his bride. So yeah, there's some deep, deep psychological problems with Ultron. So here's something that I'm hoping, because I, again, I loved Spader's Ultron, and I would kill to see it again. And in the comic books, Ultron is the AI equivalent of a cockroach. You think you've beaten him, and he has somehow copied himself, sent himself somewhere, um, downloaded elsewhere, whatever. However light beamed across the universe and picked up in a freaking uh, space android and brought back to Earth. Like, however you think you've beaten Ultron, you haven't, he's coming back. It's up to, like, number 58 or something version of himself in the comics. It's it's his, it's his tag-along trope. Just kill him, but he'll be back. It's fine. If you want to talk about Loki dying and coming back, let's talk about Ultron. So just because we think the Avengers have defeated Ultron here at the end of Age of Ultron doesn't mean a thing. And again, because we enjoy apparently, you know, wasting off these like deep, heavy character villains for for phase two here. This would be a great opportunity to kind of like, whoop, here's here's Ultron, right? He's back. Yeah. Um, currently in, in the comics, he resides in a merged form with Pym. So again, talk about your deep psychological issues, though it is indicated that Pym, the consciousness and soul is deceased. Like he, he's probably gone. So now who knows what's going to happen. All right. Now my last one, cause I have a book to talk about, right? I love talking about the books. We have the age of Ultron comic. Printed in 2013, the movie and the book share a name, and that is all. I swear, I swear that that's it. 
In fact, they picked the name for the movie simply because Age of Ultron sounded cool based on the book. But absolutely nothing of this book was translated to the movie. Uh, themes and characters are completely different. Written and drawn by Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Hitch, Brandon Peterson, and Carlos Pacquio. The story is effectively a what-if, as most of it is told in an alternate timeline where Ultron gets reactivated by the Intelligentsia, which uh, it, we'll talk about in She-Hulk, but it is a band of the smartest male villains, which tells you exactly how smart they really are. <laughs> And takes over the world pretty quickly by attacking through time. So it's a it's a um, evil fraternity. Yes, it's an evil fraternity. They're frat boys on the rampage. I mean, their members include Modok, um, the Red Ghost, who is a guy who can go intangible and utilizes super intelligent apes to do evil stuff. Oh, that's a frat boy for sure the wizard, and a few others. So yeah, it is a bunch of arrogant meatheads who think they are the smartest guys in the planet. Anyway, so Ultron basically takes over the world pretty quickly and starts wiping out heroes left and right. The few heroes left go on a suicide mission to the future, but everyone's favorite Canadian and Sue Storm go to the past instead to kill Pym before he creates Ultron. They succeed, which kind of breaks one of the laws of time travel. Don't kill anyone. Well, no, that the idea is um, something that has happened, has a time kind of inertia, momentum. It will happen. So Pym creates Ultron. That's what happens. That's how it should happen. And so... For Wolverine to go back and kill Pym kind of breaks that. Hijinks ensue. I'm not going to tell you the whole book. You can go pick it up. More time travel is needed to fix that problem. And it ends up being a different Wolverine and the Invisible Woman managed to save the day. And even though they did that, the timeline collapses, realities begin merging, and it brings the ultimate universe directly into conflict with the main 616 line. The heroes utilizing time travel get it so that Pym creates a backdoor in Ultron that Ultron never knew about in all the different times and iterations they fought him that they use to bring him down and keep him from attacking them from time and thus saving the world and setting it back on its original track. That's how they fix it. But because that's how they fix it, nothing in the book matters. Nothing happens that has any, like... The heroes don't grow. The heroes don't learn anything. They they go from immediately one mission directly to another. That's it. That's all that happens, ultimately, until the realities start crashing. And that's, to me, why it feels like it's a setup book so that they could bring in their failing ultimate universe line, bring over a couple of good characters, and, and get them into the 616. Like, this is how they get Miles Morales from Ultimates to the main line. And a couple other like good characters from the from the Ultimates universe because the Ultimates universe is I'm not going to say a hot pile of stinking garbage, but I am going to say um, has a handful of good books and the rest are mediocre at best. And then we get things like incest relationships. 
graphic. Graphic incest relationships. Yes. So as I've stated before, you know how I feel about setup movies. Now imagine I've read a setup book. I've I've put that level of time and dedication into it. No bueno. I do not like setup books. If you can't tell your story without literally making me read another book so that it all gets set up for it, do better at your narrative. I love Bendis' work. I like Hitch and Peterson. I like their art style a lot. But Bendis, please stop it. Get more creative. I feel like I'm, I'm probably going to get some hate mail for that, and I don't really care. It'd be like that sometimes. You had to roll with the punches. Right. Well, because, uh, again, hey, guess what? Who do we have to use? We have a whole roster of killer Avengers, right? Wolverine. <laughs> We've got Moon Knight on the team for this one. Freaking, talk about pulling up from, not like, out of the, uh, out of the C-list roster here, right? And yet, we go back to Wolverine. This is why I don't like him. I may respect him, but I don't like him. And this is because he is overused to tell a story. I think if they had used anybody else, I might have liked the comic book a little bit better, to be completely honest. But they didn't. Yeah, it's a little stinky, but... Psych has, psych has feelings about Wolverine. You're going to make that a thing. I swear. Psych has feelings about Wolverine. <laughs> that is all I have for my research on the Age of Ultron. Do you have any final thoughts you want to toss my way or toss out to the our listeners? Oh, geez. So I'm glad to hear that you also thoroughly enjoyed this movie because... I now understand your grievances with the book that it is very, very loosely inspired by. They, they, didn't, they didn't open the book. They just, like, took it out of the plastic and sniffed it and went, I, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> they just looked at the cover and said, hmm, Age of Ultron. That cool. sounds cool. <laughs> but what is the Age of Ultron? Yeah, see, so, like, the name implies... Uh, you know, where Ultron takes over and does, you know, does stuff, which the book does a pretty good job, right? The Age of Ultron has started because his ultra synthoid centuries all over the place. He's reshaping the world. Like, it's becoming a robotic hellscape. So, you know, that is an age. That is not exactly what we get in the MCU. We have a rogue android he tries to take over and does do some stuff, but the heroes stop him. I I don't know what a better subtitle would have been for this one. Uh, like, definitely not The Avengers 2 or something. Like, that would have just been awful. The essence of Ultron. <laughs> oh, a whiff of Ultron. A nibble. The Avengers whiff of Ultron. <laughs> that sounds awful. The Avengers featuring Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> Avengers Volume 2 Feet Ultron. Oh, no. Avengers, the second one. <laughs> <sighs> All right. I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut you off. We're done. No more bad titles. <laughs> we got to tell our listeners about the upcoming episodes. Yes. So, guys, 
we are here at the end of uh, Avengers 2. That doesn't necessarily like that effectively ends our season two here. And what's going to be the next several episodes are going to be a couple of Patreons. And then in between our Patreons, uh, Shanko and I have one episode each to kind of come at you with non MCU stuff. Uh, Shanko uh, has a fight episode where I believe you're going to discuss stunts and you know other aspects of the work, right? Yes, sir. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be a sole episode all on her. Uh, she's welcome to bring on whoever she would like to, to to talk about stuff. And then I will have a sole episode that will hit you with comic book history. Like the actual physical. I'm real excited about it. Shanko's real excited about the stuff she's going to do. But that will take us all the way through our holiday season. And then through the holidays, we are going to take a hiatus. And we'll come back after the new year together on, I believe we're starting with the other non-MCU materials that are X-Men related. So basically the month of January will be my worst month ever as we go into Wolverine Origins. Yay. You're gonna make me relive my tr- I don't like the guy and I have to rewatch the movie too. So yeah, we can do it together. Isn't that fun? Thanks! I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that is the setup for the next, basically the next month and a half or so. Uh, you're going to continue to hear from us, obviously, but I that's kind of what I wanted you to know about going forward. So yeah, we will catch you guys next week on our patron chat episode. And until then, have a great time. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In Seven Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.